Uh, tonight we are going to end our discussion and our talk on um, the will of God and try to put some principles in place, maybe help you as you wrestle through some of the decisions that uh, you're making on um, a daily basis. And many, as we've been saying, many of the decisions that we make in life are not specifically spelled out for us in Scripture. We don't always have a direct, clear commandment on, on matters that come our way day by day. And so how do we make these kinds of decisions? So I want to offer to you five principles that can help you. There, there used to be, when I did this years ago, when I first did this, there was nine of them. That seems like a lot. So we've parroted it down a little bit and try to um, limit it to nine. And understanding that as Solomon had said at the end of Ecclesiastes, the end of the matter after everything has been said, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. We know that earlier on when he was uh, talking to um, young men, when he says that you are to rejoice uh, with the wife of your youth and let her cheer you all the days of your life. And he said, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. In other words, that there were desires in your heart that you may desire to do something that doesn't make it inherently wrong. But how do I know that I can follow the desires of my heart and walk in the ways that my eyes see, understanding that Solomon tells us elsewhere that we have to be very careful to not follow our eyes and not follow our desires. So where is this balance? How do I discern whether or not something that I desire to do, is it something that would honor God or is it something that perhaps is actually not what God would have for me to do? So how do we make these kinds of decisions? And oftentimes <clears throat> I see this come up a lot, particularly in areas where it, dealing with marriage or dealing with going to college, that's a lot of these kinds of questions come up at these moments. Um, but as I mentioned, you know, buying a car, that's a big deal. Um, how do you know that that is the right decision? How do you wisely make a decision that is something that would um, please God? I don't think God was concerned whether or not I bought a Chevy, Ford, Toyota, or whatever. But there is a sense in which a purchase like that, buying a house, buying a car, those kinds of things, they are matters to not be taken lightly. I can't take you to a scripture verse that tells you specifically what you should or shouldn't do, but there are some principles here that will, that will certainly guide us. So let me give you these five principles tonight, and um, you can write some of these verses down. We won't turn to all of them because there's a number of them, but um, the first one, if you want to turn there, actually, uh, one you might want to turn to is Proverbs chapter 2 is where I wanted to start, and just looking at this proverb and just a few verses of it, um, let me read a few verses in Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of the saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. 
For wisdom will come unto your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. From men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of unrighteousness to walk in the ways of darkness who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. He goes on in in verse 16. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Jump down to verse 20. So you will walk in the way of good and keep the paths of the righteous of the righteous for the upright will inherit the land and those with integrity will remain it but the wicked will be cut off from the land so chapter 2 of proverbs it's a mouthful and there's a lot of things in that text that we could pull apart but that's not the purpose tonight is just so much to look at this first principle is to know God's wisdom okay know God's wisdom well what does that mean well even in proverbs 2 where he talks about Knowing the fear of the Lord, being familiar with what it means to fear God. And there are places in Psalms, for instance, Psalm 119, where the fear of the Lord is a reference to Scripture. So if I know and I understand the fear of the Lord, part of that is understanding and having a working knowledge of God's commandments and understanding the commandments that God has given to us. Now, We just said that we're talking about matters where God doesn't give us a commandment, okay, where there is no specific commandment. That's true. But the commandments of God, the revealed commandments of God, the decrees of God, they help dictate whether or not a decision that I am going to make is one that I should consider or is it one that I should reject. For instance, off the top of my head, because I've already used it twice, purchasing a car it came a point where I needed a vehicle well if I was covetous and the car that I wanted actually let's be fully transparent the car that I did want okay was exponentially outside of my price range so am I right or wrong to buy a new car? Well, I am not necessarily right or wrong to buy a new car, but I am inherently wrong. I am inherently outside of what God would want for me if my motive is because I am coveting something. Coveting is clearly forbidden. That's not okay. It's not something that I should be basing a decision on, and we'll get to this one a little bit later, but if my motive is covetousness, Well, then I need to hit the do not buy button because it is clearly something that I am wanting for a sinful reason. It would also stand to reason that if I go to purchase the car, that I can't afford that car and I don't have the money to buy that car, that is also then financially irresponsible. And it is demonstrating that God's commandments, clear commandments, are influencing that decision it could apply to buying a house well i want to live in this particular neighborhood i was down in orlando twice over the last few weeks and every time i ride by isleworth does anybody know what isleworth is isleworth is where people like tiger woods lives shaquille o'neal lives grant hill lives in there Um, all these big celebrities and, and and stars live in there I'm going to give you a really quick story. Can I give you a really quick story? I promise it'll be really brief. 
when I became the senior pastor down there, uh, interim pastor, when Pastor Benson came here, um, we, had a, we had a Spanish ministry. And um, the Spanish pastor, his son lived in Isleworth. His son was a, a very well-known um, lawyer in Orlando. And so we were meeting for breakfast one morning. And, and the irony is, okay, my car at that time was broken down. Michelle's van was broken down. He, I had no car. He had no, the, 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 the Spanish pastor had no car. And so I was driving this little Datsun pickup truck. It was dented, rusted, five-speed. It was just, just think of a pitiful-looking pickup truck, and that's what this was. So we drive up on a Saturday morning. If you know me on Saturday mornings, I look nothing like this, okay? It's shorts, T-shirts, baseball hat, whatever. And the gentleman with me... Um, you know, he was dressed down too. And we drive up. I cranked down the window of this little Datsun pickup truck. And we said, into Isleworth, million-dollar home, like multi-million-dollar homes. And we said, hi, we're here to see. And we named his son. And they're like, you guys are here for what? And I was like, we are getting arrested right now. Like, they think we are totally, like, trying to break into this place. Well, we get in. And he, I, oh, this is bad. I feel guilty about this. We went and had breakfast in their clubhouse for free because his son paid a monthly thing to pay. It was a really good breakfast. <laughs> it was a really good breakfast. And Tiger Woods' house was like from here to just over there. Even the tree he ran into. I saw the tree that he eventually ran into and all that. Anyway, that was all free. But if I ride through Isleworth and I ride through there, man, it's easy for me to say, man, I wish I had that house. I wish I had that. So if my covetousness is leading me to a decision, understanding God's commandments, while God may not speak, I should buy this particular house at this particular address, it does give me guiding principles to say there are certain matters that I should absolutely reject. Now let me give you a, a biblical illustration of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is a familiar text where we find this Teaching from the Apostle Paul, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Paul is talking about this issue in Corinth of people that were eating meat that had been offered to idols. Some would eat it and some would not. Okay, And so Paul says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market um, without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the other unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean, listen to this, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. What's Paul's point? Paul's point is these issues of conscience for them in that time was an issue of whether or not I eat meat offered to idols or not. Paul says, it's just meat. Whatever is offered, whatever is sold in the market, eat it. If you're in an unbeliever's house and they give it to you, you eat it without complaint. But there was still an issue. And the issue wasn't one that those with the weak conscience were just, you know what, they just need to grow up and get 
and get with the program here, their conscience was weak or their conscience was sensitive to the fact that that was associated with idolatry. Idolatry was a clear commandment of Scripture. Do not fall into idolatrous worship. Don't do anything that would lead you to the place of worshiping a God other than God. So for these folks, it was a matter of conscience in an application of a commandment given by God that they shouldn't eat the meat. Now what Paul is saying here is that Paul, by the way, doesn't really take sides other than he is seemingly writing from the position that it's fine to eat. It's just meat. It wasn't inherently sinful to eat it. But if you are in that process going to cause another believer to sin in his conscience in a place where you're in their home, then don't eat it. Put that aside. But it doesn't mean you can't never eat it. He says, why would I be controlled by your conscience? If it's a matter of conscience, there may be things that I would do that you won't do. But this was not something that they created out of thin air. It was based on a commandment of Scripture. And for some, it led them to the place where they would eat freely, and others, they did not eat. But it was based on Scripture. And we all we could go through other applications of that where we... Applications often get us in trouble, by the way, when it is an issue of conscience for me or for you. It is very easy to then judge everybody based on our principle or application of a conscious issue. But Paul here is saying, don't do that. Don't judge one another based on that. So we have to know God's wisdom. We have to know Scripture. These commandments will apply to particular situations. Let me give you one more illustration that might be a little bit more um, along the lines of some of the questions we have been talking about, and that is dealing with the issue of marriage. Well, who do I marry? Well, the very first question for a believer to consider is whether or not the person that I am considering to marry is a believer. If that person is an unbeliever, the answer is no, it is not God's will for you. You cannot be uncommonly yoked, a believer with a believer, in a marriage because it is a one flesh union of two people. And for a Christian, that has to be another believer. Evangelistic marriages do not generally work out. And that's not the purpose of marriage. And so the very first question when our kids come home and they maybe have an interest in someone, the very first question is always going to be the same question. Are they a Christian? Yes or no? Well, no. Then no. But they're nice. But they're not a Christian. So there it is knowing Scripture and understanding that there are commandments that we have been given that are not negotiable. Let me give you one more illustration. is to not accept a job that would cause you to break one of God's commandments. Has anybody ever worked for a crooked boss before that purposefully violates tax laws or purposefully violates ethical laws? I, I knew a guy like that that I worked for very briefly. His business was shady. It was not ethical. Believers shouldn't be a part of that. All right, so the first one is know God's wisdom, know scripture. Number two, trust in God's wisdom because God is wiser than any of us and so trust in his ways. 
We find this in Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. This this text isn't teaching that there is this series of interconnected dots that I have to walk along. And if I step off the wrong on the wrong dot and I make a wrong decision, then therefore I am out of God's will for the rest of my life. One writer put it this way. If that is true, if following this picture of interconnected dots, he says, that if you marry the wrong person, you'll be off your dot. You'll have children who were never meant to be born. Does that mean that they can never be within the will of God? Families, if that is true, could be out of God's will for generations because they were never meant to exist in the first place. Doesn't that seem a little crazy to you? The principle will be, and he was not suggesting that that's accurate. He's saying if you follow that through and I do the dot thing and I marry the quote-unquote wrong person, then you are, you're doomed maybe for hundreds of years. Instead, he says, and I would say, water, fertilize your marriage and invest in your own marriage. How about this one? Go to the wrong college. You'll receive the wrong degree of a, from a place that God had never intended for you to be. You'll be off your dot and relegated to being out of God's will until you make the next right decision, which could be decades later to get back onto the right dot. You may spend years and years and years of your life with the wrong degree from the wrong college and have no hope of serving God. That's ridiculous thinking. I was thinking about this when I was, I was thinking back to my days of when I was thinking about going to college. My initial plan was to go to the University of Central Florida, actually. And um, the reason I did not go there, by the way, was because they didn't have a lot of on-campus housing. I wanted to go to UCF, which is in Orlando, by the way, and that was my goal. Instead, I went to the University of Delaware and then ended up at Salisbury University and met my wife and all of that. But it, it, it's a conversation. They, what if I had gone to UCF? What if I had gone there? Would I have been off my dot and been out of the will of God for decades so this text here isn't arguing that you're to trust, this, this text is arguing that you are to trust God in every wise decision that you make and he will direct your path. It's not saying that it is this interconnected series of dots, but it is saying that as I am seeking God and making wise decisions, he will guide me within the bounds of scripture and give me direction and protection as I make decisions as they come my way. Now, this doesn't negate the fact that I think all of us probably would look back over, um, over times when God has specifically in very unique ways clearly directed us to a particular decision. And surely that happens. But oftentimes it is these decisions that we make on a day-to-day -day basis that is simply leaning into the wisdom of God. Number three, walk in God's wisdom. The Bible isn't a case book that gives us every answer to every question we have or to every decision that we must make. The more Christ-centered and Bible-saturated we become, the more our decisions will reflect the character of God. So we have to use our sanctified common sense to apply God's word to the specific questions in your life. If you were to, if you were to approach the Bible as a case book, and you were to go back into, even into the Old Testament, into some of the heroes of the faith, and see some of the decisions that they made. 
And you would walk away thinking, wow, if that worked for, if, you know, that worked for that person, that must be the right decision. You would be in big trouble. Because many of them made very poor decisions based on very bad information. And they were away from God. So the scripture isn't a case book to tell us. Sometimes the Bible just tells us what happened. It's not telling you that what happened was good. And so we have to make sure that we are walking in God's wisdom and learning, as Paul says in Ephesians, looking carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise and understanding to rest in God's wisdom. Number four, seek God's wisdom. Now this one is, these last two are maybe a little bit more practical. The other three, you kind of get it and and understand, I hope, what, what the principles are there. But four and five are a little bit more practical. And number four is seek God's wisdom. Because God's word doesn't speak decisively to every matter we will face in life, here's what we need. We need wise counsel from godly people. Proverbs 1.5, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. Proverbs 12.15, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15.22, without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. There is no way on this earth, buying a car this week, that I am going to do that without seeking godly counsel from men that I trust. There are people that I go to on a consistent basis in my personal life. And in the case of car, I went to a couple people and said, hey, here it is. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm praying about. What do you think? And if one of them had said, nah, I think you're a fool. Well, then I would have been a fool to continue down the path that I was going on. There has to be people in your life that love you enough to say, you're crazy. Don't do that. That's foolish. And and by the way, when four or five people that are godly, that love you, that have your best interest in mind, are saying the same thing, you would be very, very wise to listen. And Michelle and I, we've talked about this for a long time. Whenever we've bought homes or we've moved, things like that, I talk to my dad and I talk to her dad. Because I know that they are going to give me sound advice. And they're not going to tell me what I want to hear. And there are times that they have said things that I didn't want to hear. But in hindsight, when you look at it, you understand that there are times people know me better than I know me. And they see things in me that they would argue that's not the best decision for you. I cannot, I cannot emphasize enough that for us as believers we need godly people in our lives that are speaking to us and giving us wise counsel and then to look that in the face again and again and again and to do the exact opposite you're a fool you are making a foolish decision here's the other principle in that by the way 
I also am not a fan of rash decisions. Has anybody ever made a decision like right now and looked back later and said, oh man, that was foolish. Seeking godly counsel not only gets input from people you trust and people that love you, it slows you down. Because very often, if you're like me, what sounded like a really good idea on Monday, by Wednesday doesn't sound like a very good idea anymore. And so this principle of pausing and thinking and talking to people that I respect and honor is a tremendous way. And and I know there's a lot of teens here tonight. Um, Your parents are far from perfect. But your parents have your best interest in mind. And the first people, I still go to my dad to this day and to her dad on certain, not everything, in certain decisions. I always go to her dad as well because I know they have our best interest in mind. And so on that list, unless your parent is completely, how do I say it, reprobate and has no, no interest in anything spiritual or in you, which does happen sometimes, Your parents should be absolutely on that list that you are seeking wisdom from. Your pastor, a teacher, someone that you greatly, greatly respect. I can't emphasize that one enough. Number five, the final one. You may notice that I've conveniently left a particular word off so far because it's number five. And that is you need to pray for God's wisdom. God shepherds his people through the work of his Holy Spirit. God desires for his people to make wise decisions. I, I, do, I, I cannot state this strongly enough either. God does not hide his best interest for you behind a closed door somewhere that you have to go find it. He, he wants you to pray. He wants you to have the Holy Spirit direct you and lead you. And here's another principle before I forget to say it. For um, Michelle and, and me... It's always been this. If we pray about something separately and I, we come back together and one of us is a yes and the other one is a no, the answer is no. That until we are both yeses, the answer is no. I did something this week I have never done in 26 years. Twenty-six years we've been married. I've never done this until this week. I bought that car. She didn't even see it. She saw a picture. I've never done that before. And Sam Heron wrote in it before my wife ever saw it. He felt pretty special, I think. We were cruising around town. I've never done that. And I'm sitting there signing this paper like sick in my soul. Like I feel like my wife should be there. Now, before you think there's marital problems, she told me it was okay to do that, okay? We had talked about it. I didn't just go do it. But in sincerity, I sat there like, this feels wrong to me. Because she wasn't right there to do it with me. So prayer, seeking the Lord's counsel. Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. 
So we think about, well, prayers for the righteous, pray for well-being of people, and we pray for financial matters. God wants you to pray about buying a car or buying a house, and certainly he wants you to pray about who you marry. So what do I pray about? Well, pray for understanding of Scripture, that God's Holy Spirit will give me illumination to understand how Scriptures apply to a particular situation. Pray diligently for wisdom and discernment and discretion when facing a decision. Gather information about the decision. Don't make something without having all the information that you can possibly gather. Look for consistent feedback among your counselors who you seek. Ask them to pray about it. I mean, there may be times when you go talk to someone, and I've said this to them. Hey, I don't want an answer right now. I sincerely don't want you to say yes or no right now. I want you to tell me in a day or two and tell me after you've prayed about it, what do you think? And give me your insight. And then also pray for right motives. Pray for right attitudes and right outcomes. Carefully assess what truly is my motive in taking that job. Is it to get more money? Is it to get more respect? Is it to get more position? Is it so I can buy a house in Isleworth down in Orlando or landfall here in Wilmington? Is my motive simply, not that that's sinful to own a house in there, I'm not saying that, but is my motive sinful? What is my attitude about this decision? If all of my counselors are saying, don't do this, and I say I'm doing this, it might be that not only are you a fool, you're stubborn. And it might be that your attitude is what is leading you down a path that is very problematic because you're being unteachable about that particular decision. And then also, as you're praying, assess the desired outcome that you want. And particularly, whose glory are you after? Why do you want that job? Why do you want that house? Why do you want that car? Why do you want that position in a new town? Why do you desire that? Is it to bring glory to yourself or is it to bring glory to God and to him alone? Now these five principles don't answer every detail of question that we could all have when making decisions. But I do find them particularly helpful for us to think through what scriptures do apply if I'm walking in wisdom on a consistent basis, my decision-making process will become more and increasingly Christ-like. But I also will be welcoming counsel by people that I love and trust. And also praying, Lord, please, guard my heart. May this be for your glory, not mine, that my motive would be pure. And so that I can make the best decision that I can make, understanding that they are not always a matter of right or wrong, they are often a matter of better.